Hi, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to episode 17 of our special Lockdown Lowdown series. And I'd like to welcome my latest special guest, Saskia Holling. Hi, Saskia. Hello there. Hi. Hi, thanks for joining us today. And um, and it's not very good on an audio podcast, but I'm holding up <laughs> a copy, a copy mm. of Saskia's fantastic new book, Girlsville, mm. the story of the Delmonas and the head coatees, the queens of the Medway Delta. And it's such a great book. And as regular listeners and readers the podcast and blog well, no, I'm a huge fan of sort of the Medway music scene of our gigs podcasts and blogs and not only that but the book is also published on our good friends at Spin Out Nuggets or their first um, book by Spin Out mm-hmm. Publications so I thought well what a fantastic opportunity to get Saskia along to talk about the book so welcome Saskia um, so this is your first book your first venture into publishing it is uh, my first book although I have written fanzines before and this is my first podcast as well ever so i'm a podcast virgin steve <laughs> okay well we can edit it into a some sort of non-virginal content you know and um we'll have a, that would be nice yeah. have a chat and play uh, some of your favorite songs along the way and obviously we're mm-hmm. going to look at the story of the the two bands that you've covered in such fantastic detail so first okay. of all tell us a little bit about the premise of the book um the premise of the book um, I just I'd read a couple of Medway books and I just found that the story was very male and there was uh, there wasn't much mention of the female bands involved in the Medway music scene and I thought it would be nice to have their story told the Dalmunas and the Head Coatees um, and I I knew them all so it made sense that I approached them to see if they would be interested in doing that and they, they were. So most interviews were done in people's houses, uh, at their, sitting at their kitchen table, quite relaxed, um, apart from Holly, which was in a, a hotel room. Yeah. Before we talk about the book a bit more in a bit more detail, let's find out a little bit about your background. And, and I guess, you know, you're well-placed to get to know all these characters because you are in a band with um, your partner, Russ Wilkins, of The Milkshake. Mm-hmm. You're in Lord Rochester and mm-hmm. Big Russ Wilkins and Lightning Holly and... Mm-hmm. As I said, so this is a great opportunity for you. This is, how I guess, how you got to know all the, the characters involved through Russ's involvement in the Medway music scene. Yes, yeah, because um, I met Russell in um, the mid-90s and uh, we, we both live in Scotland, but we went down to London and Medway quite a lot. And over, over a period of time, I've met most of the key players on the scene, yes. Fantastic. So the book is um, really well put together and very well produced by Spin Out Publications, their mm-hmm. first book and your first book. Yes. And so apart from the great cover, you know, you've got a uh, great discography, you've got um, lots of links, um, credits and references, great photos, all lots of brilliant sort of on stage and off stage, the head coatees and the head coats in Japan, which are great, you know. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got even got some little childhood photos and snaps of the girls as well. Yeah, <laughs> I've always quite liked that in in biographies. I've always quite liked to see pictures of people as uh, kids. So just thought I'd try and get that in there. 
So did you enjoy the process of, of, of writing the book? Yeah, I did enjoy it. It's, it's taken many years. It's taken about four years. It kind of um, sped up in lockdown a bit because I had a bit more time to kind of really sit down and concentrate and finalise everything. Mm. Um, but yes, it was, a, it was a good journey. And how did you get um, get Spin Out uh, involved? How did you get Lee Grimshaw involved with it? Because, again, it's his first publication, isn't it, as well? Yes. Well, I worked with Lee before. Um, he put out a single by The Metals, and I've met him many times and just know what how enthusiastic he is about everything. Yeah. And I know he loves Medway as well and Medway music, so I just thought, well, I'll ask him. No, no harm in asking. So uh, he immediately came back and said, yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> That was that. And uh, it just kind of made sense. It was the first time for both of us. Mm. Um, well, it's great. And I, I think you must be proud of all the, the great reviews it's getting and the, and the feedback. You know, it's, um, it's, as I said, it's, it's a wonderful book. You know, it's thought-provoking. Mm. You know, it's not easy reading in, in sometimes. Like I said, you have covered, you know, you haven't shied away from some of the issues. You know, like we said about mm. this sort of... Um, the problems faced by female musicians and um and, and the attitude towards journalists to um to bands at the time you know and i think it's mm-hmm. um it's a, it's a great read it, it's a really welcome change to have both these bands sort of reevaluated and um and hopefully again people will check them out and not only the bands themselves but also all these great solo music that they're now doing and other bands and side projects which we'll get on to but yeah well exactly i mean it's not just these women weren't just involved in the head coatees and the Delmonas, they've gone on to do other things themselves. So it was a good story to tell. Um, but I remember, um, I think it was at the Lembright Combo gig in, at the Lexington in London, and I was speaking to Kira. And I was speaking to Kira about having just done an interview about a band I used to be in called Sally Skull. And um, she said to me, oh, you're really lucky. People never ask me questions. And I came away thinking... Why on earth isn't anyone asking Kira questions about you know, her experience in music? Because I would, so I did. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's long overdue, and um, I, I think it's it's great to have uh, have their story told. Let's find out a little bit more about yourself and your background. Um, so you grew up in Stornoway on the Isle of Lewis, the Outer Hebrides. I did. I only know mm-hmm. from Vikings and the Callanish Stones. So. What was it like growing up there? I mean, I'm talking musically now. I mean, growing up there, was it isolated in terms of sort of popular culture and music over there? Um, I was quite lucky um, because although I grew up in Stornoway, um, I was born in Newcastle at one time and my dad went to art school there and my mum was a keen club goer in Newcastle at uh, Club Agogo where kind of everyone played when they went to Newcastle. Um, the animals, um, Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, Pretty Things, all played at the Club of Gogo. So when they moved to Stornoway in the Isle of Lewis, they took their record collection with them, and it was quite a vast record collection. All the kind of Beatles, Rolling Stones, Motown, Leon Russell, Oscar Brown Jr., who I think we're going to play a track from. So I was surrounded by pretty good music at home in my teens when I started to discover boys and music and things um, and alcohol. My friend and I used to hang around with punks and there had been a a punk record released called Sad Day We Left the Croft. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, It was an LP of, I think, four or five punk bands released in 1981 from Stornoway. But by the time I was hanging out with these people, uh, that had been and gone. So 
they used to talk about it and I didn't really know what they were talking about. Um, and the, so the bands I ended up seeing up in Stornoway were kind of Eagles cover bands, okay. middle of the road yeah. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yes. great, you know, you came from a musical family. And uh, so I always like to ask this question. So what was your earliest musical sort of memory? Was there something that you can remember sticking out when you were a child or, you know, a teenager or even younger that you really think, wow, you know, this is great. What is this music thing? Is there mm-hmm. something that sticks out in your mind? I think I enjoyed all, most of my parents' record collection and I used to sing along to a lot of the records and the Oscar Brown Jr. Uh, Between Heaven and Hell uh, is just a record that yeah, has always stuck in my mind because it was good to sing along to. All, all his songs were quite interesting and uh, the record was uh, about songs kind of quite heavenly and songs quite hellish and I tended to drift towards the songs about hell more than the ones about heaven uh, yeah, for some strange reason well should we hear your pick um your oscar brown junior pick you've gone for mr kicks permit me to introduce myself the name is mr kicks i dwell in a dark dominion away down by the river sticks the devil has sent me here because i'm full of wicked tricks and i'm such a popular fellow among all you lunatics a course in ruination from the devil's text to fools who can't withstand temptation. Step right up, you're next. I hail from a hot old hellhole down along the river sticks. Allow me to introduce myself. The name is Mr. Kicks. When an old wolf starts a prowling out. Among the young lambs howling, don't you know he's looking for kicks? When a young cat full of sly chicks spends his evenings chasing fly chicks, ten to one he's looking for kicks. Kicks is always in demand, cause kicks is full of fun and laughter. Lots of folks get out of hand, because it's only kicks they're after. Shady lady and her lover operating undercover. She knows sin and virtue don't mix. Her mama raised her prim and proper, but now while horses couldn't stop her, when she's on a man hunt for kicks. Well, that was a great track, Oscar Brown Jr. and Mr. Kicks. And you've gone for another unusual choice here, um, Bee Bumble and the Stingers and Nut Rocker. Yes. Um, uh, tell me mm-hmm. about this one. Well, Bee Bumble and the Stingers, this was a single that my parents had. I think it was actually one of the first singles that my mum bought. And I used to listen to it in my teenage bedroom on the dance set. And little knowing that just about 15 years later, I would be sitting on a bed with Kim Fowley, <laughs> interviewing him for a fanzine uh, for Heavy Flow with a tape recorder placed between us and trying to sit at the very opposite ends of that bed. Yes. And you mentioned this, this was an unusual one because you, you, you mentioned your interview with Kim Fowley and, and you said that he actually wrote a song that was on the, the B-side to this. Is, am I right with that? Or? Uh, he arranged... Um, Nat Rocker, and he also uh, wrote Nautilus, which is on the other side. This is B Bumble and the Stingers and Nut Rocker.
tell us what came next. Did you move to Edinburgh for studying? Or? Yes, I did. I moved to Edinburgh when I was 18 to go to college. Um, I have to say that although my parents had this great record collection and I had a great musical background and education from their records, for the next 10 years... <laughs> Um, I just kind of went musical uh, mad and just would go to any gigs, would dance to anything, um, was completely open about it. Uh, so, I, so for every Dr. Feelgood, I would go and see a Simply Red. For every uh, James Brown I danced to, I would go to a house party and dance to S Express. Yeah, so I had no, I had no taste filter yeah. at all. <laughs> but then around... Uh, 1990, I went to see the Cramps at the Ballerams, mm. and I think that was a, a bit of a moment for me. Um, I think for many women of my age, I'd say the same thing: who are in music mm. and seeing Poison Ivy on stage is a is a bit of a moment. So I'm sure it's a bit of a moment for men as well, but <laughs> it's a different moment for females. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they were fantastic, weren't they? I mean. Mm-hmm. And especially when I saw them around the time when they had Fur Dixon in the band. So they had Fur Dixon playing bass and then they had Poison Ivy on the guitar and then Lux in the yeah. middle. Visually, it was so fantastic. And having the two strong female characters either side of Lux was just, well, it was just such a great visual treat, you know. Yes, that was the two that I saw as well. I think um, I actually wrote down what I wrote in my diary after being to that gig. And couldn't help staring at the guitarist Poison Ivy. With her massive red hair, great guitar, and amazing sequined outfit, she does what I just dream about. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was one of your early um, early gig reviews, then, was it? Or yes, in, in my diary. But then I have to say that in the next very next night, I went to see Delamitri. So all the cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pleased to say that you've chosen the Delamitri song as your next choice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, um, yeah, you've you've chosen a track by the Cramps. Um, mm-hmm. And which one have you plumped for? Uh, Human Fly, because it's uh, yeah, it's from my favourite album, which is Bad Music. Six eyes, I got a garbage brain that's driving me insane. And I don't like a ride, so push the best aside. And baby, I won't care, cause baby, I don't scare. Cause I'm a reborn maggot using gym warfare. Right. I don't know why, but I say 
So what was there something that sort of inspired you to become a musician, you know, and was it was it seeing someone like Poison Ivy or what was it that sort of inspired you from being a fan to actually going out and becoming a musician? Yes, I, I would say that um, having seen Poison Ivy, that was kind of put the idea into my head. Um, because prior to that, um, when I was in Stornoway, particularly all the bands were it made up of guys. There was no women on stage. I never saw women on stage. And it wasn't until I was in Edinburgh that I did actually start to see females performing music on stage. And um, not just Poison Ivy, but uh, there was uh, Susie and the Banshees and bands like the Shop Assistants. But I saw them, uh, but I never actually had the kind of get up and go to actually do something about it and actually going to be in a band so there was uh, several things that happened that um, resulted in me starting a band and one of them was I started going out with a a guy called Tom who played in a band called Gila Monster I realized that it was just him and his friends so if I could find a bunch of friends who wanted to be in a band I could be in a band Um, Tom also had a really cool record collection and used to make me fantastic mixtapes of which um, and the A-Bones was one on one of those mixtapes. Riot Girl came away, came along, sorry, and uh, suddenly I was surrounded uh, by uh, images of women in the music papers that I was reading at the time, um, which was inspiring for me. Um, and then I also went to see Babes in Toyland as well. So there's a, there was a whole group of things that happened around the same time that finally kick-started me to actually start my own band. Oh, great. So, so we hear the um, track by the A-Bones. Um, you've mm-hmm. gone for Take Up the Slack, Daddy-O. And yeah, great track. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, let's hear your choice of Babes and Twine. This is Handsome and Gretel. Yes, I love right. this song.
Well, that was a great double hit there. So we had um, Hansman and Gretel by Babes in Toyland. That's uh, cleared my ears out a little bit. And yes. then uh, you had uh, Take Up the Slack Daddy-O by the A-Bone. So um, uh, two great tracks there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with Babes in Toyland, um, I met them in Edinburgh when they were they were chewing Fontenelle, which that track is on. Um, they were playing at the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh and they were being supported by a band called Paulville. And Paulville did that thing where at the end of their set, they said, if there's anyone in the audience who can put us up for the night, we don't have anywhere to sleep. <laughs> and so Tom and I kind of had them stay at a, a flat. And because of that, we then met Babes in Toyland the next day and we ended up going to Newcastle with them on their, their little tour bus. Oh, great. Um, and that was like life on the road. <laughs> I thought, going from Edinburgh to Newcastle, the two gigs in a row, it felt, yeah, and I really thought, I want to do more of this as well. Oh, fantastic. Your first on-the-road experience then. Yes. <laughs> so then, so this experience led to you sort of um, forming your first band. Tell us about your early phrase into, into becoming a musician and part of a band. Um, the first band that uh, I was in was actually in Glasgow. I was still living in Glasgow at the time. I hadn't actually moved through to Edinburgh, although Tom lived in Edinburgh, so we kind of were between Glasgow and Edinburgh a lot for, for gigs and things. So my first band in Glasgow was a band called FUD um, with, with some friends and we used to play at the 13th Note in Glasgow at a club that Alex Kaplanos from Franz Ferdinand used to run on a Thursday night. We were very new to our instruments. It was very punky. It was good fun. We were, I went to see the Voodoo Queens in Edinburgh um, and that's where I met Claire Scrivener and we formed Sally Skull after that gig. And this was the first time that you sort of got in the studio and recorded, was it? After about a year of playing with Sally Skull, we, we started to record some of our songs, yeah. We released a, an EP on Vesuvius Records, that's a Glasgow record label, an independent label, although we recorded in Newcastle. And then we recorded another EP with Russell, uh, producing for Slant Records in Newcastle. Well, give us an example of um, Sally Skull. Pick a, give us one of your favourite tracks. OK, this is a track called You Better Go, uh, Claire wrote. It was Claire introduced me to the Girls in the Garage LPs and the Pandoras and the Brood and bands like that. Uh, kind of, she was a much more of a garage girl than I was at the time. And she kind of introduced me to that world. And you can hear that in her songwriting. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear Sally Skull. This is from the Fractious EP. And this is You Better Go. I play it better than you 
forgot to mention uh, on You Better Go, we have uh, Hillary on, from the Delmonas on backing vocals on that track you just played. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So that's a uh, <laughs> portent of things to come, really, isn't it? So, yes, uh, I discovered the head coaches earlier, around 92, when Girlsville first came out. And that was my flatmates in Glasgow's record collection. And yes, picking up that album mm. and uh, seeing these such cool girls on the cover and then uh, kind of lifting the needle out and putting it onto the record and hearing Wild Man. It's just like... Yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah, what a track and what a record. Yeah, just wanted to be there. Well, let's hear it, let's play it, let's play Wild Man. There is a boy who lives next door. He has a father that I adore. I asked him for his daddy's name he said no way missus he's a wild man he's a wild man Just a dirty, rotten, wild man Oh, that's fantastic. So, so how did you actually get her involved with the, with the record? Uh, with, well, Hillary, um, I knew of the head coaches and I have to be honest, Steve, I didn't know anything about the Medway scene before I'd listened to that head coaches record. And then um, somebody told me about the head coats being behind, you know, working with the head coaches. And it wasn't until I met Russell in about 95 that I discovered the milkshakes and the Dalmonas. I went to a wildebeest gig in Edinburgh and I knew the other two wildebeests. I knew John and he used to be in the Kaisers and I knew Lenny because he was in the Thames and he had been in loads of Edinburgh bands before that. And someone had said, oh, and the singer Russell, he, he was in a band called The Milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it was a, another world opening up to me when I met Russell. Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you're now in Sally Skull and you're also, you started a fanzine as well. Yes. Yeah, back in the 90s, yeah, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, and you had mentioned again that you interviewed Kim Fowley for it. And I've seen your interview, which was a... <laughs> <laughs> which was, a, I didn't know how to take it. It, it, it. It's very confrontational, very um, pornographic in, <laughs> in a way. Yes, I think, I think he was playing with me. You know, yeah. that song, Spider and the Fly, yeah, the yeah. Rolling Stones one, yeah. 
he was definitely playing with me. I don't know if he was seriously trying to seduce me or if he was just acting a part, but uh, it was quite scary. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, very, um, it's very sort of, uh, say, creepy and um, yeah. living up to his character. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, because I, I, I just went in there wanting to talk to him about the runaways because I was a huge fan of the runaways. And, uh, of course, he was having none of that. He didn't want to talk about them. He wanted to talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope you share that interview some uh, with uh, on the internet because I know you've started a, a sort of um, Facebook group to go along with Girls with a Book, which again we'll, yes. we'll link to later. But um, and you're starting to share some of these things, and you've got a great interview with the raincoats I've seen, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've only rediscovered them recently myself. I mean, I think it's through lockdown. You know, you kind of end up looking in boxes and things and discovering all these things that you you did in the past. So I opened this box after about 20 years and there was this all these heavy flows sitting there so yes I have started sharing more obviously we'll put a link to where you can buy the book and spin out nuggets and also we'll put a link to this the, the new Facebook group that you started and hopefully people will start to share their memories as well and uh, and discuss some of the issues raised in the book because um, yes. there are a lot of things that the book throws up and talking about um not that I'm going to compare Billy Childish with Kim Fowley, but the, the sort of the, the sort of the Sven Gali figure, which is something a lot of people might be quite surprised at when they read the book, because and I know you 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 do sort of um, go into detail on this, where there was this sort of um, misconception, I think, maybe based around the the visuals, the album covers, that they were all girl bands because there were the pictures of the girls on the on the holding guitars on the on the covers very prominently but i think you know some maybe some people might have been a little bit disappointed or surprised to find out that the girls didn't actually play on the records that it was really billy and the and the milkshakes that were were actually mm-hmm. playing can you tell us a little bit about about that i think some a lot some people were disappointed by the fact that uh, the women didn't have more control over their, their creative output there was an element of control taken out of their hands. That is just the way that Billy works. He does like to be in control and it works for him and it works in terms of his incredibly prolific output. Look at the amount of records and artworks he's kind of released into the world over the years. So it, it does it does work for him. But for other people in the bands that he's in and working with, there may come a point where it doesn't work for them. They're not getting the, the creative input that they want. That's always going to be an issue for everyone involved. Yeah, I suppose they want more creative input. Yeah, but particularly as um, in the case of the head coaches, when they first started, you know, they were just there for fun. They didn't have a lot of experience. Well, Sarah had had experience with um, the Dalmonas and Debbie in the X-Men, but uh, the others, you know, they're, they're kind of young women just learning about being in a band. And uh, the more they learned about it and the more they enjoyed it and the more they wanted to do it, um, the more they realised, there was a realisation about that maybe they weren't getting the most out of what they were doing at the time. Yeah, it sort of reminds me sometimes of some of these, the, the studios and the producers set up of where you had the studio and the producer, which was called in the shots, you know, I mean, like Phil Spector and, and all these students where the performer was there to, to perform the song, you know, mm-hmm. and I think there was um, the argument also, I mean, Billy was giving them a platform to perform. Well, um, yes, he was giving them that platform to perform. And they were also, you know, you can say that about the producer giving someone a song to sing and the singer not having a great deal of involvement in that. But in actual fact, I think there is a lot of involvement. You know, if you look at the head coaches, 
their personalities shine through and each the songs that they sing you know they're taking those songs and making them their own and then with the Delmonas they were taking these songs and creating these amazing harmonies which I think Russ said you know none of none of the milkshakes would have been able to come up with those harmonies that the girls were coming up with so in a band everyone is really creatively involved and it's just how that creative product is then taken to the world (laughs) is uh, another matter. So tell us a little bit about the story of the Dalmonas and um, how they sort of formed and who was involved. Um, well, the Dalmonas um, started off with Hilary and Sarah, um, who happened to be going out with two of the milkshakes at the time, um, going into the studio and doing some backing vocals um, under the lovely moniker of the Milk Boilers, um, which I talk about a bit more in the book. And having done that, you know, um, Ace Records realised that this sounded good and wanted to do something with the girls at the front. Louise was drafted in and the Delmonas was formed and two great EPs were recorded first and released. And I think um, Ace Records are re-releasing the EPs, aren't they, as a 10-inch vinyl with a great cover? Yes, yeah, they are indeed, uh, yes, and it's really nice to see that happening. Give us a song, um, one of your favourites from the Delmonas, one of your... So, yeah. I think the early, one of the early songs that I really like, uh, War Now, which is on the first EP... It's a, it was actually a milkshake song, but I prefer the Delmona's version myself. That was great. That was uh, Woe Now by the Delmonas. And you touched on the fact that they were called the, the Milk Boilers, which is not a very flattering <laughs> sort of moniker, as mm-hmm. Boilers being a sort of bit of a derogatory term for a girlfriend. And obviously they were girlfriends of the milkshake. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the book touches on a lot of these attitudes at the time, which, again, it makes for quite uncomfortable reading because, you know, you mm-hmm. picked on quite a lot of reviews at the time, contemporary reviews, not only of the Delmonas and then you had Coteeds, but also of other female bands and female musicians. And, it, and so some of them are quite, it makes your blood or your skin crawl mm-hmm. reading it, you know. And a lot of these are from like the NME, which was meant to be this progressive right on music paper. But some of the reviews yeah. you've managed to dig up are, are quite shocking. And I think there is this attitude, isn't there, at the time that maybe now we look back on it and think, God, dear, you know, how did they get away with it? Yes. I mean, I, I was going to the British Library in London to do my research and going through all these old music papers. And yeah, my, my jaw was literally dropping sort of every few pages uh, of what I was reading and going, really? Did they really say things like that? And when it came to the papers in the 90s, I actually bought these papers at the time and was reading this and hadn't, didn't notice. I didn't notice how misogynistic these 
pieces of writing were at the time. And it, it's amazing how it was just part of the fabric of life at that time and particularly of the music business. It's just the way it was. And it's only looking back at it now that you kind of go, I'm glad things have changed. <laughs> yeah, but I think the sad thing is, is that you're looking at the 80s and there's um, obviously some pretty horrible mm. reviews, which will maybe a couple of... <laughs> I'm looking at some of them now and I'm loath to read them out. But uh, And then, you, then you're going like another decade later into the 90s, it's still happening. And then I did an interview with a gay advert recently. Mm-hmm. And again, she was talking about the same issues in the 70s, where the main reason why she packed it in was because of all the attention she was getting, just because of her look and her looks. And she didn't really want that attention. And it drove mm-hmm. her to give up music completely, which is a terrible shame. You know, so you're looking at 70s, 80s, 90s, nothing really changing, you know. No, and I like to think that this changed, but I get, I suspect that it hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these reviews were, uh, were were terrible. And this is about bands, especially from that post-punk period, where there was so much great music coming out from primo yes. musicians, the Slits, the Raincoats, the Au Pairs, you know, um, Delta Five. There was this great band, Toya, I know. I love Toya. You know, she was great at the time. You know, very, very different, very groundbreaking musicians. And there was obviously mainstream artists like, you know, Kate Bush and, and people like that. And two of my favourite bands were the Bangles and the Go-Go's at the time. Now, these are bands that we're looking back on now in the, in the music press and they're being lauded, brightly so, you know. But, I mean, some of these things here were, were like the enemy reviewed the Go-Go's and said they wouldn't have a record contract if they were boys. Yes, I, I mean, know. Simple yeah, can you imagine yeah, reversing that and saying they wouldn't have a record contract if they were guys? You know, <laughs> it, it, it just doesn't happen. You just don't can't say stuff like that. And uh, especially with the, the quality of the music that was coming out by the Gogos at the time. Yeah. There is a great documentary now about have you seen that about the Gogos? Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. It, it's great yeah. because especially about the early punk scene yes. that they were involved with. When know. they were on, on tour with um, madness and um yeah. yes, yeah. really good. No, it's yeah. well worth watching, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I'm a massive fan of the Go-Go's. I, mean, I saw them the first time, you know, first time I saw them was in a movie called Erg, A Music War, because I saw that in the early early 80s, mid-80s, I think it was released. I was blown away, and they played We Got The Beat, which, um, mm-hmm. again, you chose as one of your favourites. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little the message of solidarity. I think they've actually just been nominated for the Hall of Fame, the Music Hall of Fame or something. Yes, um, yeah. So they got the last laugh. yes. But amazing how, I mean, that was just, I think I just included one press cutting about the Go-Go's in the book, but I did come across a lot more that were equally dismissive of them at the time. Yeah. I think that, that's the word that sums it up, dismissive, yeah. you know, yes. Yeah. But I think how you can be dismissive of, of, of so bands like the Go-Go's or the Slits, which were changing the face of music, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. But, uh, well, let's play We Got The Beat.
that was great. That was the go-goes and we got the beat. And um, th- this one was one of the worst <laughs> reviews that you dug up. This is about girls' school. A great band, Chums for, with Motorhead. And it says here, the girls' school are the acceptable face of femme rock. No arty-farty slitisms or tiresomely rampant raincoats feminisms or come and get it flaunt of the runaways. Then they mm. just dismiss the... <laughs> Yeah, the bands, yeah, yeah, just brush them away quickly, yes. I mean, that, that was just awful, how you can you know, dismiss that. And then um, another one about the, the Bangors, which who were a great band, you know, they're a fantastic psychedelic sort of pop band, Paisley Pop, and I'm, I don't like to really read this out in female company, but it's like the Bangors are the runaways with clean panties and pretty faces, and they're only good for one off the wrist. And <laughs> I mean, that was the NME. Yeah, I'm cringing and shaking my head, even though I've read that many times and published it. <laughs> and yeah. I, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, it's I mean, still unbelievable hearing it, isn't it? It's, it's awful. And um, the Bangles also were, have said to have outgrown their use, just like the Slits, another band who never realised that being an all-girl group is a notoriously dodgy gimmick. Yeah, I think I, I think Gay Advert summed it up the other day, you know, on your show by saying, I didn't ask to be a woman. <laughs> You know, know, all these people are just, they're in bands because they want to make music. They didn't ask to be women making music. They just happened to be women making music. And the music press picked them apart because of that fact. So that was just me looking at the music press. I mean, the the kind of attitude probably went much deeper at the time into the business as well. So they would have been facing barriers at every level. No, I agree. So... um... And, and hopefully, as I said, that we are looking back at these bands and realising how fantastic they are, you know, and um, there, there are some great compilations around. In fact, I got picked up one the other day, which I've got here, which um, is called Make More Noise, Women in Independent UK Music, 1977 to 1987. And I I mean, I've got most of these tracks, but it was in a lovely box set, you know. Oh, this this, nice, is, a, yes. this mm-hmm. is a superb compilation. You know, X-Ray Specs, Kirsty McColl, Paulie Murray, you know, The Mordettes, Hazel O'Connor, Fatal Microbes, Trace, I mean, you can go on, Dolly Mixture. I mean, this is like, about 80 tracks of, of just female world mm. bands and it's there is a superb music on here so I think to dismiss that 80 tracks of great music is yes and one wonders yeah. though if um, the music press hadn't been so dismissive and derogatory of all these bands at the time whether some of these bands would have continued to make music for a bit longer because I know that bands like Dolly Mixture they were slated quite a lot in the music press at the time and they didn't you know, they didn't last very long. One wonders if they would have, if they hadn't faced so many barriers at the time. That's a good point. The raincoats were hugely influential on the, the sort of riot girl movement. And um, I, don't, I don't think just on, on, on female musicians. I mean, the, the raincoats and the slits with the rhythms and the, the way they merge reggae, the angler stuff was massively influential on so many bands, you know. Yeah, the, um, the gender. Yeah, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain was a huge fan of the raincoats. Yeah. Um, he was quite influential in getting them to reform at one point in the 90s. But um, yeah, and Sally Skull supported the Raincoats. Um, lovely people, great band. And yet uh, somebody, John Perry, I think when reviewing one of their albums, said at the end of his cutting review, he said, uh, Grandma, you're old and you smell of, you smell of me. I mean, I, <laughs> what? Yeah, how derogatory can you get? Yeah, it's, so. it's awful. Well, let's um, end this little section with your choice of um, Raincoat song, because I think you said that uh, if any proof is needed that this, this is a, a fantastic band that certainly shouldn't be dismissed in any way. Exactly. As, as a raincoat. Yeah. So mm-hmm. tell us about your choice of Raincoat song. 
I think it's fairy tale in the supermarket and it's just kind of expresses the, the fun world of the raincoats at the time. I think it's from my first LP and uh, experimentation, fun and cool all in one. One thing going back to the say the Delmonas and and where this is something again which is interesting that you you talk about in the book is that which again is quite uncomfortable reading now is like the sleeve notes to the albums <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> done obviously by Billy Childish as a, under pseudonym but some of them were you know I mean obviously they're meant to be ironic and humorous but given what we've just spoken about again makes some some uncomfortable reading so this is sort of sleeve notes on albums so this is um, and this is Billy saying. Um, let me introduce you to Sarah, Louise and Hilary, three adolescent, acneed, adenoidal young ladies known as the Delmonas, a bunch of soppy old tarts screeching their way through a whole album. I recommend you place this disc back in the rack. This is a horrible record. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I know there's meant to be, it's meant to be ironic and humorous, but it, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was Hilary who said uh, it's meant to be funny, but it's not, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, what did they think? Yeah. At the, what did they think at the time? Did they discuss that? They, there was no discussion. They, they, the first time they saw the sleeve notes was when they saw the record. So, oh right, oh god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, but that goes for everybody apart from because it was Bruce and Billy who put the sleeve together, and nobody uh, with the two of them saw it mm. before it had been released. The sleeve notes didn't occur on the next release. That those were the sleeve notes from Dangerous Charles, and then. But uh, there was no sleeve notes on Delmona's Five, which was the release 
um, after Louise had left and it was just Hilary and Sarah and uh, Mick had left as well. And there was a bit of a different lineup in the band. And I would say quite a shift in attitude as well, which you can hear on the record and see on the record sleeve as well. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear a track from, from the album then. Um... Um, I wanted to play Black Ludella, which is a, a Billy song, and um, it's delivered with such power and attitude by Hilary and Sarah. Um, I really like this song. Adela there, um, that was kind of a song that I could really hear echoes of Riot Girl in, and um, I know that um, Kathleen Hannah told me that Toby Vale was a huge Delmonas fan and I can hear almost hear Rebel Girl in Black Adela. Yeah, good uh, point. So you've chosen a, another track by the, the Delmonas, um, which was from one of their radio sessions. Farmer John. Um, and it kind of shows the direction because this was recorded in 1988 just before the band kind of fizzled out and it kind of shows the direction that the Delmonas were going in at the time and it's kind of very much an obvious precursor to the headquarters this particular song yeah it might sound familiar (laughs) yes well let's hear it this is Farmer John by the Delmonas
So then they, the, the sort of band split up, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of milkshakes ended and um, the Dalmonas also ended. Mm-hmm. And then came the Headcoats, which was um, Billy's uh, sort of, I suppose, a tribute to Don Crane of the, of the Downliner sect, where they wore mm-hmm. their Deerstalker hats. Mm-hmm. And then they had the idea to sort of resurrect the Dalmonas a little bit, but with the Headcoatees, who were more of a direct girl version of the, of the head coat. So tell us about this transition in from into the uh, the head coatees. Um, well, once again, it was very much a bit like the Delmona's, uh, about proximity. Um, the women involved were girlfriends of the members of the head coats um, and Sarah, who they all knew and who had sung before with the Delmona's and started off with a bit of backing vocals on some Headcoats records and gradually became a, an unstoppable force of their own and released their first album, Girlsville, in 91. Well, give us a good example of one of their tracks then, please. Um, so I'm going to choose a Holly number, which is on Girlsville, and I got to get the first plane home. And it's such just such a great rhythmical track and it's a lovely introduction to Holly's voice as well. She, she sings this song beautifully. Fantastic. That was Got to Get the First Plane Home by the Head Coatees. And then you've chosen an a, a interesting cover because they did some great cover versions as well, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is uh, from Punk Girls LP. And yeah, I think I chose this because I thought, who the hell is brave enough to cover Teenage Kicks? And uh, yes, the Head Coatees were. And uh, I think Debbie does a great job on this. And the song takes on a whole new meaning when it's sung from the female point of view. was mine. 
Coaches again, they sort of chose some names. So obviously, there was Holly Smith became Holly Golightly, who we obviously know the name now. Sarah was Ludella Black or Miss mm-hmm. Ludella Black, and then Debbie was Bongo Debbie, and mm-hmm. um, and Kira, which was, was Billy's girlfriend at the time, um, Kira La Rubia. And the band would sort of come on stage, sort of towards the end of the, the head coach shows, wouldn't they? They'd, it was almost like an encore, vert, like, like a halfway through. And I remember in a podcast that I did with Ian Damage from Damage Goods mm-hmm. Records, which you kindly mentioned in your book, thank you very much, mm-hmm. that he admitted, um, for him at least, it was obviously the, often the highlight of, <laughs> of the gig. He said that there would be this excitement waiting for the girls to come on. You know, that it, it's, uh, <laughs> There's a great video which really sums it up, I think, really well, which is filmed, I think, at, uh, I don't remember the venue, but it was in an Edinburgh gig. Yes, at the Cows Rock. And it's a really great video because it does capture the, the energy and, and the fun. And I think you can see everyone's enjoying it. There's that. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and you've got um, the girls coming on and doing their bit and, and having a great time, you know, and it's, it's really worth tracking that down. I think you can get it on YouTube or mm-hmm. DVD or something. But it really does um, highlight, especially Kira's energy. She's such a great performer. An amazing energy. Performer. Yeah, and she's... And- Still to this day, I mean, I saw um, CTMF at the Lexington, I think about three, three or four years ago, I can't remember now, and Kira came up and did Wildman again, yeah. again, yeah. <laughs> but still, she, you know, even though she's performed that song, I don't know how many times, and she delivered it with her all and lit up the stage once again, it was quite amazing. Yeah, that, that was great, because also... Yeah. Sarah Ludella came on stage as well. So it was... A, yes, yes. A great, great, well, it was two gigs, wasn't it? It was an afternoon... And yes. Evening, you know, and it, it was yes. great to see. And uh, yeah, the, the energy was fantastic. And I recommend checking that, that video out because it just sums it, sums it up so well, you know. Talking about bad, bad journalism, there's that classic story, which again, Ian told me in the, um, in mm. the podcast we did, where suddenly, you know, the music press were, were latching on to the sort of the girl bands and we, they're writing about it now and they can't ignore it. They can't be dismissive of this groundswell of, of great female musicians. And mm-hmm. they send um, Johnny Cigarettes along to a gig <laughs> to review the head coatees and he thinks that there's, you know, he's going to be seeing this all-girl band. And uh, tell us the story about this, because this is, this is fantastic. Well, he turns up... Um, and he's standing at the front 
around. And he, apparently he's very tall. And so people had to kind of look around him to try and see the stage. And uh, he was getting more and more sort of humpy. And I think walked out after about 40 minutes, kind of in a huff, because it was just a, it was just a bloke band as far as he was concerned. Where's the girls? And he gave the, the head coach quite a, a short shrift review, um, but hadn't waited to see the head coaches come on. So, <laughs> yes. Hadn't done his homework. Yes. And as an Ian tells a story as well in, in the podcast we did with Damaged Goods Records. And then in response to that, Billy wrote, we hate the fucking NME. Yes. Um, <laughs> ironically, Johnny Cigarettes gave it single of the week. <laughs> it's out of, uh, yes, guilt or something. So I think, yeah, I think the headquarters were kind of caught up in that um, swirl of riot girl coverage by the music press, um, as you say, and we're getting kind of lumped in with that sort of tag, so mm. to speak, because any because at that time any female bands or bands with a female in them would come under Riot Girl as far as the music press were concerned. Yeah, and I think they've people again. You mentioned the book that say Bratmobile and um, people were, were sort of um, now checking out uh, the head coatees and Delmos mm-hmm. and giving them name checks. And mm-hmm. and I know the good thing about in, in the book you also got um, Debbie Cheering and Boom from the Girl Fridays, mm-hmm. and you've got mm-hmm. Juliet Electra from the Drongo and Melissa Rose of the Selwoods sort of giving their take on, on how it inspired them as well. Yes. Which was a nice touch to get their, their opinions on the albums and their influence as well. Yeah, I think it was a, it, it's important to, for not just to be my voice, uh, but for, for other women in music to be seeing you know, how, how these bands influence them as well. And you also get um, Ian Greensmith, so you get a, a good uh, male counterbalance on, on their influence as well, which is yes. well, a really great um, feature. Yeah, well, he has a, a bit of an insight into the story, having been married to Debbie. So, uh, But that's why I got him to review the, the album that Debbie's not on. Yes. <laughs> no bias involved there. No bias, yes. And I think it was sort of, um, also, Kira was getting inspired as well, wasn't she? Because she's gone on record in the book as well to say that suddenly it was became cool to be a woman with opinions in music and you, you didn't have to look like Debbie Harry, you know, so. Yes. It, it was mm. great that she, you know, must have, they must have felt like they were getting a little bit of respect then. Yeah, I think Kira was the one who, who had the most influence from the Riot Girl scene. Uh, I'm not sure how influenced the other members of the headquarters were. But Kira was definitely um, appreciative of the scene at the time. Oh, it was great. And then um, said they obviously all sort of came to an end. But the good thing about the book is that there's a, a massive discography in, in there. You've got a really well-researched discography. And you've gone into also not just about the Delmonas and the head coatees, but also some of their previous bands like um, the X-Men that Debbie was in and, mm-hmm. and also other other bands that they've gone on to perform in, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fantastic, you know. I mean, you've got the Dutronc, the Nuns, the A-Lines, Would Be Goods, obviously Holly Go Lightly and um, Ludella Black doing their, their solo music as well. But um, so tell us a little bit about some of your uh, pick of some of their solo and uh, other projects. Okay, um, I think uh, Keel and Debbie went on to form the A-Lines around, in around 2000. Yes, around 2000. They released an album in 2004 called You Can Touch. And the track I've chosen from that, that is uh, called Nothing Personal. And it's just... You can hear Kira's European influences in here. Uh, also in that band were uh, Julia Spang from Mamble Taxi and Julie Hamper. And you can just hear everyone's influences coming through on this song. It's a great track. Let's hear the A-lines and nothing personal. 
And Sarah, or Ludella Black, is, is sort of performing with the Masonics as well, and uh, she's been releasing yes. some great albums, and also provides yes. this fantastic artwork to, to the book. The cover art is, is great, you know. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, I was very lucky to have access to that. Yeah, it works very well on the cover. But her solo work, yes, she's released, I think she releases a solo album about every 10 years. Uh, they're, they're great. Um, the track I've chosen is from her last album, Till You Lie in Your Grave, which um, was released in 2018. And it's called it's You Don't Know Right from Wrong. And it's really just Ludella Black continuing to be Ludella Black and doing what she does best, which is garage song with the Masonics on backing vocals. <laughs> Turning the tables. fantastic track you don't know right from wrong by Ludella Black and then a great band that uh, I think a, a fantastic concept is Ye Nuns who are a tribute yeah. band with a difference because they're an all-girl tribute band to mm-hmm. the monks and I mean I mean the monks were hardly a conventional band in their own right even by sort of 60s garage psych um, no, <laughs> the nettles tried to cover a monk in fact we did cover a monk song we played it a couple of times but it's really they're really hard songs to cover yeah. kind <laughs> of the the counts and everything are just completely different to normal songs. But uh, you nuns do it very well, and it's a bit of a super group, really, I think, you nuns. A fantastic band to see live, you know, as well as Bongo Debbie. You've got Debbie Smith from Curve and Echo Belly. You've got Delia and Andrea from Mambo Taxi and other bands. Kate Hodges from The Priscilla's and Lola, who was in, oh, is it Dirt Hall, London Dirt Hall Company? something like that um but it's they're just magic live have you seen them oh have yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're so great great live mm-hmm. amazing experience mm-hmm. you know i mean debbie is playing debbie smith's playing this electrified banjo which is mm-hmm. oh, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable mm-hmm. um choose your your pick 
Uh, this is one of my favourite monk songs. It's uh, Higgledy Piggledy. All right, Higgledy Piggledy, let's do it. Holly Go Lightly has um, done very well as a solo <laughs> artist <laughs> on Elephant by the White Stripes and uh, Rocket from the Crypt. And uh, But you've gone for a Holly Go Lightly and the Brokoffs song. I have, yes. I mean, Holly's got a great voice, but I actually think her voice works even better when she's singing with Dave, Lawyer Dave, her partner. And um, just the way their voices work together, I just think it's fantastic. And I, lo- I also like the kind of subject matter that their songs often cover in the book of, which is about heaven and hell, kind of taking you back to Oscar Brown Jr. And uh, yeah, burn your fun.
that's great to sort of catch up on some of the other music that the girls have been involved with. And I said, if you get the book, you've got this fantastic discography where people can go on a little adventure and, and sort of check out um, what they're doing. It's uh, extremely rewarding. And then, and then you mentioned the, the Spin Out Nuggets, um, Lee Grimshaw and Spin Out Productions and his label Spin Out Nuggets, uh, putting out these fantastic records. And um, he put out um, the single by your band, The Nittels, which uh, featured your Sally Skull colleague, Claire, who mm-hmm. sadly passed away last year, which um, was really sad news, um, especially as it was just around the time that the album was due for release. Yeah. We've also done a feature on the album in, in before in Retro Man Blog, and we've linked to charities that um, you were supporting in Claire's name, including the sort of the Edinburgh Rock School for Girls. And um, we'll put links up as well again. We'll remind you of those in the blog. So tell us a little bit about the Nettels. Yeah, well, I think what you said there, uh, Claire and I uh, had performed in Sally Skull together in the 90s and um, we disbanded around 98. But then we got back together in 2015 to play at the Franklin Fest in Edinburgh and really enjoyed ourselves and decided to start another band. Uh, Katrina Dixon, who had been drumming with us, was moving back to London, so... We couldn't keep Sally Skull going, so we decided to form a new band and make this band bigger and noisier than the one before. And that was uh, how the Nettles formed. Um, with Angus McPake, um, who's in the Thames and Lay Off and Sensation Seekers, many Edinburgh bands. And he had been in the Fizz Bombs in the 80s as well. And he would play drums with us and... My school friend, Katrina Donaldson, on keyboard. Katrina grew up with me in Stornoway and discovered, we discovered men and alcohol at the same time. Yes. <laughs> and had a good five years with the Nettles and with Claire, putting the album together. And, uh, yeah, as you say, sadly, she passed away last year. Mm. And, yeah, great loss, friend and bandmate and fellow songwriter. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's sad news. Let, let's play a track... Um your choice and which one have you have you gone for um i've chosen i don't want to talk to you and this is uh again claire at her best uh, yes it's it's the a follow-on from you better go with sally skull It's my day off. 
Yeah, it's a great track. I don't want to talk to you by the Nettles. And we've um, played tracks from the album and uh, in previous episodes when we've also had reviewed it. And uh, there'll be links to to the various charities that you'd like to promote in in Claire's name. So um, that's great. Uh, And then you're also in Lord Rochester with your partner, Russ Wilkins. And... um, Big Russ Wilkins and Lightning Holland. So you've um, we're still busy um, with Russ making some great music. And uh, tell us about the, these two little bands you've got together. Okay, uh, with Lord Rochester. Um, well, where do I start? Russ um, and I have always kind of made music together at home, and ever since we met, and I think we decided we just wanted to take some of it out and perform. And we got Tim Siberian Tim. Uh, to come and play drums with us for Lord Rochester back in around 2009 and took that show on the road. Very simple, bodily inspired, three-piece rock and roll. Just great fun. Well, let's play a track by um, Lord Rochester and you've chosen Don't Understand. Yes. And then you're also in um, Big Russ Wilkins and Lightning Hollings, which is um, just the two. Is that just the two of you playing? Yes, it is. Um, uh, Tim, drummer from Lord Rochester, has moved to Shetland, uh-huh. and it's kind of quite hard to get together easily because of that. And not just because of lockdown, but because of Shetland. So, not to be defeated, we just keep making music together, um, just for fun, really. And yeah, there, there's a lot of fun, I, I guess, to be had with the two of you because um, I recommend people going to the Mr. Unswitchable's YouTube yes. channel, um, Kevin Younger's um, great open mic online sessions. Um, 
which he's been doing over lockdown, which are great fun, where, again, mainly sort of Medway-based musicians are contributing, um, and again, mainly cover versions and uh, based around various themes. And uh, there, there is a great one of you to performing Mud's Tiger Feet. Yes, party. <laughs> Which, which I would recommend everyone rushing to YouTube to, <laughs> to have a look at. But you haven't chosen that one. What have you chosen? I tried? haven't. I've cheated a little bit. I've chosen something that we recorded back in, I think it's 98 or 99. And it's a song that Russell and I wrote together, um, kind of very Shangri-Las inspired. Um, and Claire and Phil um, from Sally Skull, we weren't in Sally Skull at the time, but they happened to be visiting us at Witness, where we lived in the countryside at the time. And we kind of got them to sing lots of lovely backing vocals and play along with this number, and it's called Sentimental Tuesday. Have you got any plans 
obviously now that sort of I don't know what it's like in Scotland, but venues mm-hmm. are opening up again. Any sort no. of booked in yet, or no venues are opening up here? Um, oh, no, no, yeah, we don't know when gigs will be happening again. We have tried, and um, we've had some outdoor gigs booked, but they've all been cancelled due to the Scottish weather. So none of them have happened. <laughs> Um, we've got some vinyl releases, so Sentimental Tuesday, for example, is going to be released by Reduced to Clear Records soon. Um, we continue to make a lot of music at home. Got another music video for Kevin's next event. So just keep playing away <laughs> for fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. And any other ventures into publishing? Have you got any other book book ideas lined up? I have some ideas, which I'm toying around with in my head and uh, Hopefully one of them will come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed to be cheeky and ask um, what's involved? Um, it'll probably be women in music. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, best of luck, Saskia, with your, well, not just your music, but with your, your writing. And um, as I said, it's a fantastic debut, debut book. Um, and I really look forward to, to reading more, you know. And um, I said I recommend people checking out retromanblog.com where I'll put a feature with a full track listing, and links to all the sort of current bands where you can buy their records, especially Lord Rochester and um, Big Russ Wilkins, Lightning Holling and uh, all the other great bands that we've played. And uh, thanks very much, Saskia. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank you for having me. And to play us out, you know, you've got a free hit now. So this is, um, what do you want to play out over the over the closing credits? Well, um, I'm actually going to play a song by Skin Team, um, who were a couple of white girl teenagers back in the early 90s and it's a song called Dancing Alice. I like to think of them being at the head coaches gigs at the front of the, you know, in front of the stage, enjoying watching the head coaches and uh, you can hear a bit of that in here. And I also like the fact that it's just them and their voices. It's just the idea of just doing it, you know, just making a noise and doing it. Perfect way to end. Mm-hmm. So thanks mm-hmm. a bit, Saskia. And uh, here's uh, Dancing Alice by Skin Teen. Mm-hmm.